you're tuned in to Dialogues on AI Digital Pathology. In this podcast series, we'll be speaking to medical and industry experts who will be sharing their thoughts on the evolving trends of AI Digital Pathology and its role in finding effective treatments for non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, also known as NASH. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. Thank you for joining us on Dialogues on AI Digital Pathology, and I'm your host, Cynthia. I trust you have caught up with our recent episodes, and if you haven't, find us on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. AI Digital Pathology plays a critical role in the world of drug discovery and treatment development for NASH a globally prevalent liver condition that awaits an FDA-approved treatment. There is a strong need for clinical trials to be empowered by biopsy-based data that is consistent and fully quantitative to determine treatment efficacy. In each episode, our guests will provide their expert opinions on AI digital pathology in NASH followed by a Q&A segment where our guest will comment on pre-submitted questions from the industry. If you have questions for our future guests, please do send them to us at info at histoindex.com. Today, I'm very happy and honoured to have with us Dr. Sunil Hosmain, Executive Vice President and Global Head of Diagnostics at GenFit. Sunil spearheads the in-house biomarker discovery program at GenFit and the designing of additional non-invasive technologies, also known as NITs, for metabolic and liver diseases. He is here to share his views on how AI digital pathology can work alongside NITs to enhance drug development efforts and benefit patient outcomes. Welcome to our podcast, Sunil, and thank you for being here with us. Thank you very, very much for inviting me to participate on the podcast. I, I really appreciate it and, and look forward to uh, what seems to be a very interesting discussion. Yes, we're more than happy to have you share your thoughts with us. So to begin, tell us more about yourself, Sunil, about um, your work at GenFit and your current involvement. Sure, I would love to, and uh, I'd like to just say that uh, you already did a great job introducing me, so I I don't have a ton more to add. Um, As you mentioned, I lead global diagnostics at GenFit, uh, and this spans, so under my my supervision, spans work both in earlier biomarkers, biomarkers that are in the early stages of uh, research and development, all the way through kind of more mature technologies like our, our NIST-4 technology, which we recently licensed to LabCorp. Um, in addition to that, that's my, that's my day job. That's the majority of the work that I do. But I'm also a member of multiple executive committees within the company that oversee various um, general operations, uh, commercialization, strategy uh, programs, both for the drug as well as the uh, diagnostic program, so both kind of both programs in the company. And uh, the final part of my responsibilities are on, uh, as a corporate officer, is to represent GenFit in investor relations type activities. So when you think about presenting or uh, conversing or sharing data information with buy side analysts, sell side analysts, um, 
current and future investors. Uh, this is uh, the last part of my my job responsibilities. It's great that you brought up NIS4, and we've just heard about this blood-based biomarker. Could you tell us more about NIS4 and how it works? Sure, I'd love to. Um, and by the way, I, I'll, I'll keep it brief, and, and it'll probably come up uh, perhaps through through other conversations. But um, I just wanted to first just give a big congrats. Uh, well, first of all, thank you uh, for that, that that very kind statement, and, and big congrats to both the Jensen and LabCorp team who worked you know really hard to bring this deal to fruition. Um, NIS4 is, um, in many respects, uh, a a really a multi-year effort that began really with an exploratory program. So in the beginning, it was never our core mission to build a diagnostic or develop diagnostics. Um, it was really our, our core belief um, that blood-based diagnostics in general would play an important role, not the only role, but uh, an important role um, in the patient journey uh, to identify patients with uh, NASH, um, and, and fibrosis, and these are kind of two kind of critical uh, overarching features, as you know. And back when we started, there was really nothing out there specifically designed to do this. There were a number of different technologies that were developed for you know, general purpose application in, in chronic liver disease, largely focused on identifying the stage of fibrosis. But there really wasn't anything built to identify NASH and certainly nothing that was built to identify both NASH and fibrosis. So this is something that we wanted to explore. And we really began with just understanding how well everything in the field did. That was really our goal, um, to, to generate data in our own hand that would inform our strategy. And uh, through that process, we had a lot of great feedback from KOLs, um, really um, pushing us uh, to explore new biomarkers. This is where uh, kind of our, our, our exploration into microRNA came from and, and other kind of uh, related biomarkers like YKL40. And at the end of the day, we were really shocked. Um, when we ended up you know, generating the data, we were really shocked at um, the performance that we were seeing from existing kind of blood-based technologies in particular. Um, as compared to what was in the literature, we, we saw you know, much worse performance across various different features. And when we started to dig even further, um, we started to ask, you know, different questions like, okay, if, if what's out there is not the best, is there some other combination? Is there some other sequence of biomarkers that may give us even better performance? And that's what led us to um, the development of NIS4. It was really kind of by necessity and, and partly by accident. Um, and so many years later, we ended up discovering this panel of four biomarkers, uh, YKL40, A2M, alpha-2 macroglobulin, HbA1c, and microRNA34a, um, and an algorithm that takes all of the quantitative values of those four biomarkers, creates a score, and then uh, depending on that score value, you would infer the patient has national significant to advanced fibrosis as, as an example, or they don't. Um, and so that's where it came, came to be, and this is a technology that we felt has merit. Um, now, several years later, having data on over a thousand patients, having our pivotal publication, we, we felt there was something really here. And apparently LabCorp also felt that there was something here, which is why they uh, eventually did the licensing deal with us. 
That is great work by the GenFit team and um, our podcast team also sends our best wishes and congratulations to them. So from your perspective as a drug developer, what kind of data are you looking for to clearly determine that a NASH drug is working when it comes to you know, data from blood-based or imaging-based or biopsy-based um, data? Um, how would you explain this and um, how do you think AI digital pathology can help in this process of determining the drug's efficacy? So I think it's a fantastic question. And I and I like to sort of answer it, and I'll, I can provide more specifics. But I think um, the short answer is all data is good data. Um, and when you're when you're developing drugs, um, you want to have confidence that the result that you're seeing um, tell you a unified story uh, of of the drug. And so what I mean by that is. You know, say we have a hypothetical drug that's acting on uh, both NASH and fibrosis, and you're seeing transaminases going down, you're seeing certain non-invasive scores and, and other technologies going down. Um, stiffness, however it's measured, is also going down, and this is all correlating to changes on histology. It's telling you a unified story, and that's why I think multiple different types of data are, are necessary to, to have a, you know, a more comprehensive understanding of how the drug is working. And, you know, all drugs are different, so you shouldn't expect to see the exact same changes across those parameters, but um, having the different categories of, of markers giving you um, a similar story, painting a similar story is important. And to that extent, I think AI, uh, digital pathology, will play a very critical role in drug development if it already isn't, uh, if it already hasn't done this already. Um, and the reason for that is, um, and you know, this is my fairly simplified view, I, I will be very transparent and say I am not the world's foremost expert on AI, but uh, as an engineer, you know, I'm very familiar with these, with these concepts. And so, um, you know, AI at its core, um, and there's many variations and forms, is, is about pattern recognition. Um, and the difference, though, between an AI-driven uh, approach versus a human-driven approach, purely human-driven approach, is the sophistication of that pattern recognition. Um, the, the system from an AI-based approach can determine nuanced features and, and things that may not seem obvious or apparent, but that, that are significant, for example, in the biology. And so when I think about... Um, you know, AI-driven uh, pathology, I really think of its benefit across two dimensions. I think the first one is around providing um, the additional analytical objective read of the, bio of the biology and the histology that can anchor one's um, scoring. And so I think this is important to, to kind of reduce the signal to noise and the variability that we're seeing currently. But I think above and beyond that, I think there's there's features and there's things that will be uncovered, um, new biology, new understandings that will be uncovered um, from an AI-based approach that will enhance our ability to further determine whether a drug is working or not and how it's working. Um, and so I think it's very special for those two reasons. 
So with the consideration of what AI digital pathology can provide, how do you think can emerging NITs be used with AI digital pathology when it comes to NASH clinical trials? So I think, you know, there's there's various ways in which non-invasive technologies in general can be used in combination with, with AI-based pathology, particularly in trials. And I think that, you know, one strategy, in my opinion, is how we are anchoring or how we are evaluating NITs based on current pathology, which, which we know has a level of variability and a level of subjectivity to it. And the way that it's, it's assessed today is largely based on a discretized scoring system. And by that, I mean, you know, the, the biology is on a continuous scale. The scoring is on a digitized scale. And sometimes that creates inherent uh, noise. And so I think the fact that you have an AI-driven system that can quantitate so many features in that biopsy could give you new insight to how well uh, an NIT is working. I think the other application, and there's many, but another application is Sometimes you're seeing changes, and we see this in, in clinical research uh, all the time, where you have a trial, um, perhaps the biopsy data, as scored not by AI but through another method, doesn't really show much change, but you're seeing a, a lot of change in the NITs. It could be that, in fact, the biopsy is changing, but it's not changing at a stage level. It's changing at a substage level. And therefore, um, the NITs are actually picking up um, some of that activity and having the AI read layering on top um, could help bring that out and could help uh, explain some of the data. So I think this is very critical for drug development and clinical development teams where they're trying to really make sense of what they're seeing in front of them. Um, and then I think the final thing is, is just sort of um, providing a groundwork, a framework for how all of these things can be used uh, in the clinic down the road. So we know that um, uh, NITs have certain advantages. Um, they also have certain trade-offs that unfortunately they all have to make. And, and you know, digital pathology, pathology in general is, is the reference standard. So I think using NITs in combination with AI could kind of maximize the identification of patients and kind of uh, NITs could be used to enrich populations who then go on to get a biopsy and that biopsy can have the very best sort of uh, overall performance if an AI system were to sit on top to ensure that the proper read is taking place to kind of decision support the pathologist and provide kind of confirmation of, of the staging. So I think there's just sort of like three categories, I believe, um, where they can be they can work really well together as opposed to what people may think, which is competing, which I don't believe is the case. Thank you, Sunil, for your great insights. Now it's time for us to move on to our Q&A segment. We have a few questions from um, pharma and biotech companies that are currently planning for or they are involved in the NASH clinical trials. Let's take a look at the questions. Now we have our first question. What do you think is the greatest hurdle today for NITs to be used as endpoints in phase three NASH clinical trials? And do you see AI digital pathology as an assist or a hurdle in achieving it? 
It's a great question. I would say it's the, the billion-dollar question for, for Nash Clinical Development. And, of course, I have, a, I have a perspective on it, but it's simply my perspective, so I just wanted to be clear. In my opinion, I think that um, you, know, you have to kind of go back a step and you have to say, you know, why are endpoints the way that they are in Nash? And, and how did we arrive at the current endpoints that we have? You know, because uh, those endpoints weren't originally designed to be clinical trial endpoints. I mean, the whole, the whole purpose of clinical trials, as you know, is to prove through data um, and not by chance that your intervention is improving overall quality of life, how people feel, function, uh, and live and survive, you know, and so that is, the, that is the goal. And we all recognize that various diseases take a long time to kind of manifest to go through the natural history. So surrogate endpoints were, were brought into the picture to accelerate trial, trial development. And these surrogates are reasonable, reasonably likely predictors of clinical events, which is why they've been selected. And of course, they, they require validation. So when we get to these endpoints of fibrosis improvement and, and, and NASH resolution, the logic is quite simple. If you achieve, you know, either fibrosis improvement without worsening NASH, so the driver of disease can't worsen, but you have to bring the stage back one by one or um, the driver of disease is silent and, and the disease is not progressing, kind of the interpretation of the two endpoints, then that should confer uh, longer survival and clinical benefit for the patient. And so, uh, and we're still proving that, by the way. We're still proving that out. And so if the question is, when can we just abandon those and go straight to a, a non-invasive endpoint, the, the requirement is that you show that a reduction in the marker you're discussing or that you're interested in um, is a predictor of outcomes. That is the that is the barrier, um, and it's going to take time and it's going to take evidence to do that. And even with that statement, I don't think there is consistency amongst the community on what the what that uh, pool of NITs would even be, because everyone has their favorite one, and so because we can't get along. <laughs> Uh, everything will be delayed. But when it comes to AI-based digital pathology, it would be crazy to, to think that it would be a hurdle. Um, if anything, it's going to assist. The question is, how much will it assist and how much will it accelerate this process? And the reason I say that is because, in general, the one thing that we do know in the field is that there's subjectivity to the way that we analyze these samples. And I can just give you one kind of very simple explanation. You know, the scoring system for ballooning is zero, which means none, which is very obvious, very black and white. One, which means some or a few. And then there's two, which means a lot. Who defines some or a few or a lot? You know, so, so the, these things kind of overlay, but I think um, what digital pathology will do is it will provide at least the mechanism to, to first put some clarity around this, to put some decision support around this, which will help reduce the signal to noise of how biopsies are read. I think the next step that it'll do is, is help us migrate towards more of a quantitative system. Uh, and by that quantitative system, I think there's going to be tremendous more insights that we'll get and because there's now a more defined goalpost or reference that we're comparing to, I think this will help accelerate the development of better non-invasives or take the non-invasives we have today and just have a better understanding of performance, which would then help us get to that ultimate goal of being able to associate non-invasive scores to clinical outcomes or, or other clinical features.
Thank you for your perspective and great insights on the endpoints and clinical trials, Sunil. Now, um, we move on to our second question, which is actually quite similar to what I asked you before about AI digital pathology working together with NITs, but that was for NASH clinical trials. So the second question is, in the era of post-market approvals of NASH drugs, how do you see these two entities working together? So I, I think, you know, and it may be ironic because I work in the diagnostics division, I lead a diagnostics division, uh, clearly I have a lot of, of interest in, in all biomarkers, not just blood-based, but, you know, biomarkers in general. With all of that said, I will also say that biopsy is not going to go away. Uh, biopsy will, will be there forever. Its extent to which it's used will change over time, and the specific use case will change over time. And what I mean by that is, you know, sometimes it's very difficult, particularly uh, when we're kind of locked in and focused on the drug development world and kind of really focused on in our own disease and, and we think the world is NASH, right? I'm not saying uh, everybody. I'm just saying this is kind of more of a general philosophical comment. In the real world, though, you have a lot of very complex cases. You know, there's patients who come with multiple diseases, um, with overlap and and um, the real world hits you. And so I think um, biopsy will always be used, particularly in complex cases where it's very unclear what the disease pathology is and what the staging is and the scoring is. Sometimes also with uh, subpar sample collection, I think having this sort of AI overlay, uh, this sort of enhanced assistant, so to speak, sitting above and beyond the data to provide guidance. I think these are all going to be incredibly valuable clinical tools. So I think pathology will be here. I think, um, yes, it, it may not be like the technology or the approach that every patient will undergo, but for those that need it, it will be there for them. And I think AI technologies will be there to better support, to better quantify, assist, and provide better clarity for those individuals. NITs, um, given the way that they can be accessed, given uh, given their relative cost, I think they're going to have a big role in triaging, in managing, in stratifying the, a big bulk of patients. Um, but there's always going to be um, a subset that are going to need further, more more scrutiny, more evaluation. And so, for that, from that standpoint, I think that you know NITs and liver biopsy will be integrated uh, into the clinical care pathway. Uh, different weights but they'll be integrated. And I think um, given the enormous workload that's coming to pathologists, because you have to take a step back and say, what's coming to pathologists? It's not just NASH liver biopsies. It's all kinds of chronic disease liver biopsies. Then you have all the oncology applications. And keep in mind, a lot of those drugs are based on histological staining. And so the caseload is going to just blow up. And you need, in my opinion, this intelligent support structure and technology that's sitting on top of pathology to make sure um, that they're seeing everything and they're acting on all the relevant information on that biopsy. So I think it's just, uh, it's going to be here. It's going to be a core part of our clinical workflow. Um, you know, medicine is slow to adopt, but I think that uh, it, it's a matter of time, not a matter of uh, if. 
We are down to our final question. And just to connect it to the previous question, you mentioned that biopsy will not go away. So in your view, what is the approximate percentage of NASH patients who would still require biopsies with the post-market approvals of NASH drugs? This is a great question. And I'll say that it's, it's simply my view. And I have some data to support my view, but it's, a, it's an evolving landscape. I think that the numbers that we're seeing when we think about kind of the U.S. in particular, but I think it varies greatly uh, depending on which, which part of the world you live in, um, is somewhere around 10 to 15 percent. You know, and, and that's, a, that's a sizable range, but that's roughly what we're seeing, and that's an explanation of patients who, as we said, have uh, maybe more complex cases or there's a uh, discrepancy in, in the evaluation with other NITs, therefore leading to uh, this, this kind of uh, uncertainty in the ideology, which then kind of prompts a, a liver biopsy. Um, I also think that the diagnostic landscape and the use of these various tools, NIT and biopsy, will be affected by the drug development landscape as well. I think it'd be naive to believe that they're different. Uh, they're very much connected. And uh, depending on the type of drugs that come to market, their mechanism of action, their, their overall efficacy and safety tolerability profile um, may require biopsies. They may not require biopsies. But what we, did, what we know today is even when given a choice, there is a subset of physicians who only feel comfortable doing a liver biopsy as a confirmatory diagnosis. It's a relatively smaller population, but it's a very consistent population. And so um, that's kind of where the 10 to 15% comes from, is that center base always wanting to kind of confirm with a biopsy and then um, you know, the rest of the landscape will, will sort of evolve and ebb and flow. So uh, top of mind right now, I think that is um, where I'm seeing it. And, of course, the other unknown is particularly with a few companies that are developing drugs in cirrhotic patients. And we know that um, cirrhosis is obviously a slightly different beast in terms of the disease pathology and and uh, kind of uh, risk of progression to kind of more even more severe outcomes. And there's always been um, some hesitancy, um, and this is not my opinion, this is more of what I've heard from the field, truly reversing cirrhosis. And so um, in, in that patient population, which is sizable, um, several, several hundred thousand uh, patients in the U.S. at least with cirrhosis, um, spanning various uh, stages of cirrhosis for that matter, uh, well compensated to compensated, uh, well, well compensated to decompensated. I think within that population, just given the, the clinical concern and, and all the other risk factors that exist, there may be more of a tendency to only use uh, biopsy as a confirmation in that, in that subpopulation. Um, and it's a bit more warranted given the severity of disease. So I think in the broader NASH population, probably smaller utilization, maybe around 10% thereabouts. And for the cirrhotic population, probably much higher, maybe like... Um, who knows, 30, 40, 50, 60%, uh, just depending on kind of standard of care. We've come to the end of our Q&A segment. So, Sunil, to conclude our podcast, could you share what the plans are for NICE for and some of the key takeaways you'd like our listeners to keep in mind? Sure, I, I would I'd be more than happy to. Um, for for NICE for, um 
you know, just to just to rearticulate where we are with that. So we're very excited to have licensed that technology to LabCorp. Um, in fact, just a few weeks ago, we just completed that deal. And so the next steps um, for for this is for our teams, as per the agreement, to transfer a lot of our knowledge uh, and know-how about the the, the market uh, to them. Um, they are internally working very diligently to um, bring up the test um, internally, um, finalize its development and, and validation, and we'll be supportive in, in whatever way we can um, in, in doing that. And so the goal is for them to be able to launch this test sometime in early 2021. Um, and so we're, we're just being good scientific stewards uh, providing whatever uh, information needed to help them do this. So that's, that's from, a, from a commercial perspective. In terms of an R&D and development perspective, as we've been doing, we're continuing to generate more and more evidence, more and more data, uh, explore different uh, kind of uh, partnership and collaboration opportunities uh, from a data perspective to uh, kind of increase the clinical evidence base for, for NIST 4 technology to support um, its use in the clinic um, in various ways. So that's really kind of where NIST 4 is today. It's all about transfer and it's all about evidence. And that's kind of the name of the game for us there. In terms of um, summarizing this kind of for the drug development audience and other, other industry uh, peers and colleagues, I just wanted to take a step back and, and just emphasize um, the importance of exploring and utilizing innovative new technologies in the clinical development world. You know, I, I can't really state that enough. You know, everybody wants the best answer. Everybody wants this migration away from 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 biopsy and this migration around, you know, away from certain things. But in order to do that, it takes evidence and it takes data and it takes it really takes a concerted effort to explore these things. And if you think about the cost of running a phase one, phase two, particularly phase two and phase three clinical trials, the amount of cost to explore some of these innovative technologies is marginal. Uh, it, it's a you know it's 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 a few percent of additional cost. And and the upside for that data is that it could reveal information both about you know the clinical market, future diagnostic pathways, et cetera. It can also reveal critical information about how your drug is working, how it's not working, fueling new concepts, including maybe additional rationale for combination, but giving you more details than just that. Which drugs do you want to combine with given deficiencies in the profile? And I think you have to take a multifaceted approach to doing this. And I think the AI digital pathology should be a part of that thinking. And the reason for that is I can give you a very clear example. You may be working with a compound that's seeing um, a, a uh, impact, a strong impact on inflammatory processes, on, on ballooning, and then kind of an overall impact on natural resolution, but your impact to fibrosis could be muted. And you may be thinking, well, okay, is it, is it an artifact or is this real? And what are ways I can mitigate that? So one thing that could be very interesting would be to take an AI approach, quantify 
a lot of those features, particularly the fibrosis, which can be done many ways, including specific types of fibers. It could be done in terms of overall kind of fibrotic uh, scar tissue um, surface area. And you can say, well, you know, I am actually seeing an antifibrotic effect. I'm just not seeing a strong enough effect in the time frame in which I've studied the compound. But since I am seeing something, maybe that's a rationale to extend the duration of the trial. Maybe there's other features that you're seeing that indicate that really um, I should be enhancing and, and um, going for a more severe disease group at baseline, because in those individuals, I'm seeing an even more pronounced effect. The biopsy, as we, as we, as we remember, um, we only talk about it in terms of four features. We talk about it in terms of steatosis, uh, lobular inflammation, ballooning, and fibrosis. There are thousands of features on the biopsy. What insights are those other features potentially telling you, giving you? Yes, it takes work, but without the data, you can't even begin to ask those important questions. So I feel that there needs to be more adoption and more of an entrepreneurial spirit with regards to NITs, AI, other innovative technologies within the context of clinical programs, particularly in early stage programs, so that as a field, and by the way, and coupled to that statement is then a willingness to present that data, share that data, publish that data, and really accelerate our complete understanding in the field. And I think if there's any call to action I would give, this would be it. So, you know, I hope people are looking at AI-based approaches coming out of Index and other, other innovative companies, new uh, blood-based biomarker technology, such as the NIST4 score, FAST, and other kind of biomarker algorithms that are coming out, um, and other imaging technologies, and really taking a hard look, and not if they would integrate, but how would they integrate that in a meaningful way into their clinical program. So that would be the one kind of overarching call to action, I would say, to my colleagues in the industry. Wonderful to have your viewpoints, Sunil. Thank you very much for sharing them with us and also for being our guest today. Oh, my, my pleasure. And uh, I, I really appreciate um, the opportunity to come on and, and provide my, my humble opinion on, on various things. Um, you know, they're simply my opinion, not necessarily a reflection of Jen Fitz's views on, on all of those matters. But I think uh, it's an important discussion, and I think venues like this are a great place to expand this conversation and, and bring new insights. And, you know, th that's how you make things better, is you, you have an opportunity to talk about stuff. Sure. As we look forward to more developments in NASH, I uh, believe we will have much to discuss. So we look forward to having you again in the future. My pleasure. Thank you very much. And uh, a big thank you to the History Index team for being very good colleagues and peers in the industry and, and of course, providing me an opportunity to discuss this topic. Certainly, Sunil. It's our pleasure. With that, we've come to the end of our podcast. To our listeners, thank you for joining us. Do remember to send in your questions for us for our next episode at info at histoindex.com. Also do visit our website to subscribe to our podcasts for new episode updates. You've been listening to Dialogues on AI Digital Pathology. Thank you for tuning in. Until our next episode, have a pleasant week ahead. Goodbye.